thankful that my arms well thankful is the clock going to be set up I'll, I'll be mindful of the time let me feel asleep thanks just wanted to help help the children's workers that's been a blessing since we've been here to seeing the the many uh, kiddos in here, what a precious blessing, and just hasn't been a part of our, our kind of church planning journey to have little ones, so so sweet uh, to see the, the little ones enter and know uh, God's blessing, what's going on over there, and we'll soon, just as, as kind of coming together, we'll soon add to those numbers, so um, no, Lacey and I are not <laughs> expecting, we're done, Lacey and I are done. But the Jones, Grandpa and Scotty, are expecting their first little baby boy in February. So anticipating that. So we'll, we'll help get, get those numbers in, too. But uh, I've already been blessed this morning. And I know we could, we could probably call it, call it a morning and, and, and go out cheerful. But I do feel that God has, obviously, something for us from his word. And as we're looking, as Jonathan said, back into the Sermon of the Mount. So if you haven't navigated found in a copy of the scriptures Matthew 5 that's where we'll be once again this morning but as we look at uh, the Beatitudes as we look at the blessing statements of Christ in this teaching to his disciples let's think about remembering in our own lives our own experience something that I think relates to what's going on and what's being taught here by our Savior so maybe for example thinking do you remember the first time you drove solo like you, you got that license, hopefully it was under the uh, circumstances that you were fully licensed and the, the, the uh, owner of the car, you had permission from the owner of the car if it wasn't your own. But do you remember the first time you drove a car with no one else in the vehicle with you? I can remember driving uh, to school, I think was my first little trip solo in my 1988 Jeep Cherokee, it was years ago. I can remember it feeling a little anxiety, feeling, but still that, that sense of independence. There's a sense of freedom there. And then parents, maybe you're going through the phase where the young ones are starting to walk. That first, those first wobbly steps and, and they gain a certain degree of independence and mobility. That's a phase of life that uh, is experienced by us all, but parents get to see it and remember it. Experiences like moving out moving out of the house, maybe going to college, getting your first full-time job, maybe voting, whatever it is. So gaining independence where you're no longer in different circumstances or different phases of life, you're no longer dependent, you're no longer uh, relying on parents or friends or others for whatever it is, transportation or or uh, having everything provided and paid for you. So you get those responsibilities. We get these responsibilities. We gain freedom. We gain autonomy in our lives. So if we can understand independence, if we can understand what it is to take on those responsibilities, remembering these markers in life that indicate taking this responsibility, this freedom, this experience of self-reliance, then we can understand dependence. So we may not remember gaining the um, walking phase or when we were young or different phases. We may not remember, you may not remember the first time you drove solo for the first time. But we can understand dependence as relying on another. Relying on another for care, to provide for whatever it is, to do something for us. 
So when we see in our text today in Matthew 5, we're going to continue looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to see the king's teaching about dependence. The king's teaching about dependence and conversely, or contrast that with independence, spiritually. Dependence and independence spiritually. So that's going to be our focus, and you're going to see these implications of not only understanding this truth, not only understanding what it is to be spiritually dependent, so the implications of understanding that but living out this truth, the implications are eternal, they are massive, they are ultimate today. So to review where Jonathan set us up with the Sermon on the Mount last week, talking about what it is, that question of how can I find fulfillment? How can I find fulfillment? So Jesus is is pointing to what it is to live the fulfilled life, to live as citizens of the the king in the kingdom. So Jesus is uh, pointing out in this sermon, he's declaring to his disciples during his incarnation to his, his disciples at the time and then to us, the contemporary people, his people in contemporary times, how to be citizens of his kingdom. So we, we go back to Matthew's gospel, and it's key to remember the purpose of Matthew's gospel. There's a, a scholar who points out three unique things about the purpose of Matthew's gospel that does relate to what we're going to be looking at today in Matthew 5.3. But the purpose of Matthew's gospel, Matthew is about Jesus the Christ. Matthew's a book about Jesus the Christ, that he's the promise, the anointed one of the Old Testament, the Messiah. So ten times Matthew points to Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Number two, Matthew is about Jesus, the son of David. So Jesus Christ is the promised son of David, one whose kingdom will have no end. It's an eternal kingdom. So he provides the royal genealogy, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew He ends with showing us that Jesus, as the son of David, is given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then number three, what Matthew is about is Jesus, the son of Abraham. So the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, by which Jesus is not just merely a descendant of Abraham, but he will fulfill the promise to uh, be a blessing to all the nations. All the nations, the reach of the salvation that Jesus brings is for all people. Introduced as being for Gentile and Jew alike. So he points this out in various ways in Matthew. And one, he begins his public ministry, Jesus as king, begins his public ministry in the Galilee of the Gentiles. Because it's an all nations salvation that he brings. So the king who is the Messiah the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises of old, the one who is a blessing to all the nations is here and he is speaking. So let us listen to our king speaking. So to get a little bit of the context, we'll go back into Matthew 4, 23 and read up to 5, verse 3. That's going to be our focus this morning. He, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. 
Chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is clear. I pray that as we uncover truth this morning, that my words will be words of exhortation and encouragement and in line with your truth and to not distract or deviate from the truth that is here for us, for all, for your glory and for your purposes alone. So I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if there's a title of the message, it would be Depending on God. Depending on God. So the questions we want to answer from the text, what does depending on God mean for us in life? Why should we depend on God and how? Do we depend on God? So if there is a key truth to consider, it's that depending on God is living a life based on God. Depending on God is living a life based on God. So yes, depending on life is relying on Him, leaning on Him, trusting Him. But we have to connect that the reality that life depends on God, connect that reality with what we know to be dependence. To see just as life itself, physical life depends on air and food and water, our life physically and spiritually depends on God. So it does come to the question of what do we believe about God? What do we believe about God? So if there would be a roadmap for us, we're going to look at understanding again the blessed life. We want to look at that when he says blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We want to dig into the blessed life, what it is to have our inheritance as the kingdom of heaven. So we will address that, but then we will look at the idea of being poor in spirit. What is this teaching from our king? So that's where we're headed, and it's so wonderful. The beautiful nature of God's word is as we we unpack his word, his word interprets and answers all those questions for us. So Go with me. We'll cover that ground this morning in, in our, uh, a brief time. So going back to Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the ones who have faith and salvation are fulfilled and consciously depend on God. Or we could say it another way. God's reign and rule in hearts and homes lead to success or flourishing in this life, blessed, and those to whom it is given, and they will have a correct estimate of themselves to the glory of God. Poor in spirit, blessed, inheriting the kingdom of heaven. So we can ask the question, well, what is success in this life? If if blessed, blessed are those, if that's pointing to some sort of success, we're attaining something, what is success in this life? So the outcome we see is inheriting that, is attaining the kingdom of heaven, eternal life that will be a very real citizenship in a new and perfect earth. Yes, inheriting that. That is success and ultimate victory. So we can look to the future, point to the future, but what about the present life? There's nothing in in here that says, Jesus says, wait to be blessed. Wait for it. And there is a waiting, but what about the already? There is the not yet, but what about the already? The blessedness of this present life. Well, Jesus 
in the Gospel of John, he's going to pray for his disciples and he gives us insight into the present blessing for those who are poor in spirit. He says this in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Eternal life that begins now upon conversion. If you sit here saved, if you sit here believing, if you sit here as an adopted son or daughter of God, that eternal life with him begins upon conversion. So he said, this is eternal life, that they know you. Speaking of the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So living in fellowship with God, in an intimate relationship with God, actually knowing him as a person, we talk to him, we live for him, we listen to him, we serve him. This is the present blessed life. So these blessed statements known as the Beatitudes, if you're familiar with that, blessed, Latin word, uh, beatus, comes from, that's where we get beatitude, blessed. So understanding these, these blessed statements, it does require us to comprehend the meaning of the term blessed. Comprehend that. There is, again, ultimate and final forever happiness, but divine blessing, it goes beyond. It goes far beyond just being happy far beyond just being happy. Theologian R.C. Sproul, he says this, it involves uh, blessedness, it involves God's favor, his willingness to come near and dwell among his people, this intimate knowledge. Eternal life is this, that they know you, that they know the Father. We see the people of Israel in numbers, it's recorded in chapter 6, that they're coming into the promised land or they're on the edge of the promised land during wilderness wandering. And the Lord speaks to Moses and tells the Aaron and the priests to give this blessing to the people. Maybe it's familiar to you. Number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So this is a Hebrew parallelism, which is basically three ways of saying the same thing. So when the Hebrew says, may the Lord bless you, he's not saying just be happy. He's saying, may you understand in the depths of your soul, in the deepest chamber of your heart, the sweetness of the presence of God as you live before his face every moment. That is present blessing. Present blessing. So this was the hope of Israel. The New Testament expands on this ultimate hope of face-to-face -face communion with God for all eternity. So how do we enjoy the Lord's favor and experience a taste of his presence now and then for all eternity, the fullness of his glory? The answer is found in this very first beatitude. How do we experience this? The answer is found. Jesus tells us. He doesn't conceal it from us. How to experience this communion with God now. He says only the poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of heaven. So going back, what is success in this life? Are we truly blessed? Are we truly blessed? Because we're thinking, as we sit here, well, life is hard. Life is hard. How am I experiencing this blessed life now when life is so hard? How are we blessed when we get sick, when we lose loved ones, when we lose a job, when we have relational conflict, when we have stresses, when we have children in rebellion, when we have unsaved family members and friends? Even in the monotony of life, how are we blessed? So recall Jesus entering, going into Nazareth, entering the synagogue on the Sabbath and reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. 
He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor whom he promised to bless are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's who Jesus was addressing, that he came to reveal himself to. What is success in this life? What is the blessed life, even when life is so hard? Romans 8, 16 through 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are in fact children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So we stand to inherit the blessings of God's fulfilled promises in Christ, heirs of Christ, God's adopted sons and daughters, but following Christ in suffering. Following Christ in suffering is also a part of the blessed life. Following Christ in suffering is also a part of the blessed life. Faith in Christ, what he has done on the cross to give us the only true abiding remedy for sin guilt, all the effects of sin in our lives. Jesus is the only cure. He's the only solution. However, earthly suffering serves a purpose in our lives. Earthly suffering provides for us insight into what it is to grow as a believer, grow in our faith in Christ, being that remedy for sin and death. Second Corinthians, Paul writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And the word of God says later or earlier in that second letter to the church at Corinth, so we do not lose heart. Though our eternal self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. A blessed life does not mean just being happy or not suffering or attaining worldly success. I grew up in the 80s. If you're familiar, there was a big time uh, popular maybe poster where it said, uh, or it showed this garage full of um, supercars, garage full of Lamborghinis and Ferraris. And then it says, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. Does anybody remember that? And you look at that and you're like, okay, that's how you win, right? The garage loaded with, with supercars, but that's not blessed. That's not a picture of being poor in spirit. Jesus, obviously, he does not say, he does not say that we are blessed or we are co-heirs with him if we have great wealth or are finding great satisfaction with the things of this world, thinking, thinking we have no need for him. That would be the opposite of poor in spirit. That would be the opposite of what it is, the, re the reverse of what it is to be successful according to the Beatitudes. So we have to remember, as Jonathan pointed out, these pitfalls of interpretation for us, that we don't look at being poor in spirit as some sort of grading rubric before God, that we have to do something to get something. But then the other extreme would be the antinomian response to say, well, there's no way, we have no capacity, we can't do it, we're not capable of it, so why try? 
We don't view the Beatitudes as simply done by Jesus and not given for kingdom citizen imperatives or commands. We don't view it like that. So what do we do about being poor in spirit? What do we do? So we see the clear teaching about the benefits. We see those clear teachings as heirs to eternal life and the eternal abundance of God's blessing, future salvation. Yes, and that's, that's that eternal hope, that eternal joy. That's the, the, the things that are unseen. And presently we have a relationship with God, knowing him and enjoying him, that present hope that we see lined out in Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also attained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God that is present reality based on justification through faith that Jesus provides. So we dig into, we need to dig into this characteristic of the portrait of Christ being poor in spirit. One scholar puts it like this, the Beatitudes present this beautiful structure of the character of Christ. So there's no entry into knowing and appropriating his riches without first passing through his blessing of those who are poor in spirit. So if the fourth beatitude, if you kind of look down, if the fourth beatitude is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, is that if that's the center of the building, then this beatitude, poor in spirit, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, this beatitude is the entrance. We must enter empty so we can be full. If we want to hunger and thirst and be satisfied with righteousness, we have to be empty first, poor in spirit. Spiritually empty is what it means to be poor in spirit. What is that? Spiritual poverty. Having a profound knowledge of our need for God. Having a profound knowledge of our need for God. Our need to depend on Him in life, presently. So this, this definitely contrasts. This is different than what we hear maybe in the culture at large today telling us to express ourselves, believe in ourselves, self-autonomy, self-love, rule the day. You be you. You have freedom over yourself, all these things. But the Beatitudes say empty self. You're no good. Empty self so that God can come in. This is countercultural. This is the upside-down way of the king and the kingdom that he brings to us. This is countercultural. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, the word of God says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The Lord's kingdom, Christ teaching, countercultural. It's a flip to what the culture would say. That is the wisdom from God, and that's folly or foolishness to the world. Seeing Jesus, Jesus only, not ourselves, Jesus as the supplier of our needs, all of them to us who are poor. So being poor in spirit, a recognition we're utterly dependent on divine grace and undeserving of God's favor. We realize we're dead, dead in our trespasses and sins, we're only, a made, we're only made alive through Christ, with Christ. So he gives us all we need, Jesus, to have peace with God. New life that we can rest in. This is good news. This is not a burden. This is good news that we can rest in. 
new life in Christ after repenting, after repenting of our attempts at independence, after repenting of our independence, uh, our attempts at independence from God, thinking that we know best, thinking that uh, we can deny the truth that he's made known to us. We repent of that and he brings new life to us. This week, I took my oldest daughter, Karis, to a college visit. So we're starting to enter that season of, of seeing our kids gain, you know, a different level of independence and freedom. So as we get older, that's the example, that's the process, right? You gain more and more independence. But for the Christian, we grow, we should, by the grace of God, through the means that he provides his word, we should grow more and more dependent on him more and more dependent on his grace so if we could apply this three ways three ways we could go on longer but we'll just say three ways to depend on god one pray one pray um jesus did he need to pray well he would withdraw early in the morning he would spend night at night with the father in prayer So if Jesus needed prayer, if Jesus gave us that example, how much more? How much more when life is so hard? Pray. Um, There's a great little book by Donald Whitney, Praying the Bible. If you're stuck in a rut with prayer, like praying the same things in the same way, great little read. Um, Have scripture fuel your prayers. Know the true Bible. Number two, know the true Bible. So Jesus fought the temptation of the enemy with the word of God. This is Jesus. What did he use? He used his words to combat Satan. Remember, uh, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 when Satan uh, comes to tempt him. Tempt him as he's going, preparing for his public ministry. And he said this, man does not live on bread alone. Jesus depended on every word from the mouth of God. So again, his words, he gives us as an example. He gives us as an example for dependency on the Father. We have to know the Bible is true. If we believe it's true, we need to know the Bible. That's how we can combat the attacks of the, of the, the, the adversary. So pray, read the Bible, right? Earth shattering, never heard that. How about three? Fight indifference and apathy. Fight indifference and apathy. Fight distraction. From living for what is most significant, distraction from living for what is most significant. So Jesus told the people of the church in Laodicea, if you're familiar with Revelation 3, he said that they they think they are rich. This is what he told the believers at the church in Laodicea. He said, they say they are rich and have prospered and need nothing. He tells them they're poor. And therefore, they should buy from him, Jesus, gold refined by fire, so that they might be rich. That is, rich in him. What was going on at Laodicea, that church of believers? Famously, Jesus says, you are neither hot nor cold, you are lukewarm, so I will spit you out of my mouth. What is going on at Laodicea? These are believers that Christ will discipline because they think they are all right. Everything's fine. We have our Bible studies, we have our church meetings, we're taking care of family. But are we desperately depending on God? They were lukewarm. He said it would be better if you were hot or cold. I'll spit you out of my mouth. They thought everything's okay. Indifferent, apathetic, just rolling along, not desperately depending on God. That's the picture of Laodicea. That's the picture 
of not giving ourselves to depend on God? Why should we depend on God? What do we believe about God? We need to see ourselves. We have to see ourselves as carrying a debt of sin and consequently as bankrupt before God. So know this about ourselves. So crying for mercy to the only one who can wipe out our debt and be our supply in our bankruptcy. We cry out to God. That's how we should depend on God, crying out to him. And just in conclusion, in the Gospel of John, he gives us this picture of the dependent life on God. This picture of poor in spirit. This picture of just relying on him and taking everything to him and saying, I want to live for what's most uh, significant. I don't want to be indifferent. I don't want to let the days pass. John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So let's not be lukewarm. Let's not daily, if not moment by moment, lose the battle with distraction. Let's not lose the battle with distraction from the one who's infinitely loving us, who perfectly loves us. Don't be distracted from him. We can be poor in spirit through his grace, through his mercy. This is not a burden. This is freedom. This is freedom in Christ. And yes, a life based on God, a life dependent on God is more than spending time with him in prayer and Bible reading. It is more than that. But it is not less than that. Pray with me. Lord, I know, Lord, I just, I want to I shock to my system. I want to reframe, re- reframe my, my pattern of life. And I pray if there's anyone here that needs to do the same in terms of us just being utterly dependent on you, thankful for your grace, but wanting to experience more and more of you, to know you more, to rest in you more, to not be caught up in whatever it is that could distract us, keep us from living wholeheartedly for you. If there's anything, any check in our conscience with with what's going on that we don't think what I'm watching or saying or doing is, is of you or for you or bringing glory to you, bring that conviction to the point of turning, to the point of getting help from a brother or sister in Christ. Also that, Lord, your name can be made famous. We have this time on this earth before we do experience the face-to-face glory with you. We have this time to partner with you for the purpose of making disciples. And we know, Lord, so much of that starts with us being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit and depending on you daily. Help us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. I love that idea of, you know, the older, more mature we become, uh, the more dependent 